How satisfied are you with your own spiritual well-being? Do you think that you are doing well before God? As we prepare to come next week, God willing, to the Lord's table, I would ask you, have you grown in your faith and in your spiritual life since last we came around the Lord's table? For some, indeed maybe for all of us, it would be better to ask the question in a negative way, has the world pushed your spiritual life out from the center of your existence? Have the desires of your heart focused more on the things of the here and now and on the world than the things that are eternal and for the soul? I think that each and every one of who is in Christ would need to admit that there are times, too many times, when we are too satisfied with the standard of our spiritual life. We have become almost sedated by the standard of living of the world which feeds uh, our comforts in the world. We do not look enough at the tremendous spiritual blessings. Our focus is not strong enough on Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We too easily become comfortable in the world and even in our attitudes Uh, to the sins of the world which the word of God clearly condemns which a righteous life ought to flee from. And I would confess in my own heart the slowness, a lack of spiritual development and growth too easily put off thinking about the things of God. And for far too many we're too slow to talk and to dwell upon Jesus as our Lord, and to make those things the things that are central. In short, we're too well off, too comfortable with the world, and not reliant upon Jesus Christ in every situation of life. And so today I want to turn your thoughts to some of the words that we read in James chapter 1, focusing particularly in verses 19 to 21, maybe especially on verses 20 and 21. Here we see in these words a focus that our minds should be striving. We should be striving for our righteousness that is spoken about here. And we notice that when we read James at the end of verse 20, he speaks about a righteous life that God desires. And that's the question Are you living that righteous life? Are you even striving for that righteousness that God so desires? As we think about these things, there are four different things we want to focus on. First of all, we want to note that the passions of man don't bring a good result. The passions of man, and there's a poor result. And the second thing we'll outline is just to focus for a moment on that righteous life. We need to think about that. What is it that we should be looking for? And then the third thing is with regard to our sin. How we need to put that away. And fourthly, how we need to hear the word and give attention to the word. So first of all, 
We want to note here the passions of man and their result because that's what James is speaking about. He says that we should be uh, take note. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. And he is talking here about the passions of our own heart. And we know how easily we can be inflamed in wrong ways. And even when we get indignant about someone who is in sin and we are upset and we might think righteous anger, how small a step it is from being righteously angry in a good, God-honoring way to simply allowing our own passions to flare up and being angry with a person in a wrong way. How often have we not heard people dealing with some particular matter and they, they're concerned to, to defend themselves or to put forward a point of view and what happens? They speak in a way that is of their own personal desires and interest and sometimes in anger outside the bounds of what is acceptable truly to God. Indeed, James goes on here to speak about how this passion uh, or anger, as it is translated in the New International, is not going to be helpful. He says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And that word there, the, the root the, the very core of it, it's not simply a welling up of a, a, of a passion that uh, it comes and goes in a moment. Behind it, there's a deeper running emotion. It's a, a settled emotion. It's something that's in the man. And whenever the passion has arised, this emotion wells up. It's an outburst from what is in the heart, from something that is wrong. And uh, we might say that uh, in this context, James is speaking about listening to the Word. And he's really saying to people, when you hear the Word and it tells you about your sin, how often we become defensive and we don't like it. And our inner sinful being rears up and says, I don't want to hear that message. And we speak angrily against it. When God calls a person to follow Christ and to give up sinful habits, how quickly they can be to try and defend their lives rather than thinking, yes, I need to change. So here is a person who when he hears a word begins to speak in anger and resentment even at the truth because that truth is touching our honor. It's touching what he knows is wrong. And so the passions, the angers of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We can be aware of this. We know of this in many ordinary settings of life. Someone comes along to you and they want to persuade you of some particular argument and the more animated and the more uh, vocal and they become you may indeed be the more likely to say, well, you're, you're getting too excited about it and it might put you off. Whereas if someone comes calmly and reasons with 
with quiet words, setting before a logical argument, you might be more eager to listen and might be more ready to accept their words. The, the anger, the, the passions that flare up in our hearts, the emotion of sin that is so often at the very, very uh, near the surface does not help us in the righteous life we ought to have. What is that righteous life? That leads us just to give some thought about the life that God desires. And what is that? James speaks of it here in verse 20. The righteous life that God desires. It's a life of righteousness. It's a life of true holiness. It's a life of obedience to the word. Honoring God, giving Him all the glory, having our whole lives, our attitudes and every habit conformed to the living God. In short, the life that God desires for you is the life that has been set before you in the example of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to know, if you want to know the kind of life you ought to live, the kind of attitudes that you should adopt, then read the life of Christ. Read the Bible. Learn from Him. Because the study of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is of huge benefit to you, for He shows you the righteousness that your God desires. He was perfect in all His ways. And that is the living example and his interaction with people. How he spoke to the disciples. How he dealt with sinners. Even though he hated their sin, how did Jesus deal with people? Well, we can learn. He did not enter into any unrighteous anger. His passions didn't flare up so that he fell into sin. No, rather he came with compassionate grace, with measured words, with love and a readiness always to forgive. One of the great problems for us in our generation perhaps is that there are not enough righteous lives of men and women to mirror or to follow. Our lives are so marred by sin we find it difficult to to think of someone who is really a very good example. But Christ is the example. Now we may and we should, I hope we would have some people who are examples of godliness. Whom we look up to and say, well that person, we know they're sinful, but we can, if we follow them, we will see an example of righteousness. What a challenge that is to Christian parents in the home. Are you setting before children a godly Christian example? This is one of the great difficulties of our age. Our children in the world are growing up and they don't see an example of holy living. They see selfish living. They see worldly living. They see people who are going about in all kinds of ways doing their own thing. And so that's what they're learning how important it is to give children 
that example of godliness. And to be able to say to them, I'm sorry, but I have sinned. I've made a mistake. And to show them that their example should not simply be a good parent, but Christ. And point them to him whose example is perfect in every way. Yes, you are to set the example. But as Paul said, you are to say to them, you are to follow my example in as far as I follow Christ. That is the righteousness that will bring pleasure to God. That is what he desires of men and women. Show me a person who is seeking to follow Christ. Show me someone whose desire is to walk in the way of the Lord and you will find there someone who is growing spiritually and who is taking seriously the life that they ought to lead. They may never be quite satisfied with the level of their spirituality. In fact, I would say to you, if you are truly seeking to do the will of God, you will never be truly satisfied with your spiritual life. Because the more we learn about Jesus Christ and what he has done, the more we will see that we have not lived up to the kind of life that God desires. And when we fix our mind on Christ, he more often than not just simply brings us back to our own faults. And yet, also from him we will have strengthening and help to glorify God and to strive towards righteousness. May we be spiritually alert. May we set before others an example. But may it be an example of following Christ and seeking the righteousness that pleases God that he has set before us. What an example he has given. What a righteous life he has shown to us. That's the life that God desires. And of course we can't reach that. And it's there that we need to come on our knees and plead with God for forgiveness. It's at that point we must say, Lord, unless you cleanse me from all my sin, I can never attain to heaven. I cannot do it myself. No matter what effort I put in, I cannot be a righteous person. Forgive me. And it's there we look to Jesus and the righteousness with which He clothes us when we come to Him. And what a joy it is to know that He provides a righteousness way better than ever we will be able to get of our own effort. That's what God desires. But that shouldn't stop us seeking to make an effort in this world. In fact, we must try. And James tells us about this. James is very practical. He says that we must make a move against sin. We must make a move against sin. That's what he speaks about in verse 21. He says there, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. 
And what's he talking about? He's saying, get rid of all those things. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord, then you'll be seeking to push away all that is evil and wrong. Here we're dealing, first thought with that which we note here. James says these things are so prevalent. The moral filth and evil, they're all around us. And they are all around us. All of these nasty things competing for our attention, dragging us astray into sin. It's not just the uh, things that we might highlight in our world today, the, the homosexuality, the lack of care for the life of the unborn, and all these evil things. But when James speaks here of all moral filth and evil that are so prevalent, he is talking about every attitude of our hearts that so often can become corrupted. They are prevalent because we are sinners to the core and every sinful thought encroaches upon even that good that we do. So James is talking here about the evils that we get into. The times we lose our temper. The times we tell lies. The times when we do things that are wrong. All of those sinful activities that are in opposition to God. And he's saying you need to act against those things. There is an underlying root problem. It's the sinful heart and it wells up a well of unwelcome sinful behavior. And what are we to do with it? Well, look what he tells us to do. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of those sins, even those hidden sins. Sin can come to us in many ways. Maybe the chasing after money, the desire even for, for promotion in our job without regard to the fact that God demands a bit of your time and you know promotion brings more pressure, less time for the Lord. There's all kinds of ways, you see, in which we are being swamped that will encroach and push us further away from God. What are we to do? Get rid of all of these things. And that word actually means not simply to get rid of them, but to push them away, to set them at a distance so that they're no longer a temptation. Made illustrated by saying that's like someone and you've come to the end of a very satisfying and a good meal and you have had plenty and more than sufficient and someone maybe offers you another piece of very tasty pudding, whether it be a cheesecake or something else, and something you really like, and you know your taste buds, you would love that. Well, what are you going to do? There are three things you can do. You may take the plate and set it down near you and look at it and eye it up, and maybe after a while you might succumb. You might simply take it and eat it there, and then though you have no need of it, or you can push it away. You can say, pass that away to the other end of the table. Take that out to the kitchen, away from me. 
because I don't want to be tempted. I don't want even to to have the smell of it because I might eat it and I don't need it. And the thought here of James is that we're to push these things away. We're to set them away from us. We're not simply to set it on the table beside us where we might linger on its uh, presence and therefore succumb. But we are to push it away to the opposite end of the table, into another room, away from sight, and away, therefore, from temptation. And when James says, get rid of them, that's what he means. When temptation comes, when these evils encroach, root them out, get rid of them, and put them so far from yourself that you're not going to be tempted to fall again. We need to do that with every sin that comes our way. Whether that's a temptation to read something on the internet that is wrong and we know it's wrong, we need to shut down that website. We need to put a lock on it so we don't go there. We need to uh, say to our search bar, don't ever bring that up again. Or it may be in an attitude towards a person. And we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to put that, those thoughts that are wrong far away from us. We've got to push them aside and if they begin to raise their heads, we've got to crush them completely. And that's what James is saying we need to do. There is an activity involved. If you're in Jesus Christ, we must be conscious of the need to get rid of everything that despoils the righteous life that pleases God. I wonder, do you take action to put away sinful things? Real, robust action. Or could it be that you're like that put in and you set it down near you and maybe then you dabble in it? Well, that's disobedience. That's sin. That's falling before God. Come before the Lord and ask His help. Seek Him that you might be righteous before the Lord and not dabble in the moral filth and the sins that so corrupt. And if it's a matter of giving time to God, make sure you ask Him to order your time so that you will have time to listen to Him. Indeed, that brings us to the last thing, to the fourth thing. Not only are we to push away all those things, we need to give acceptance of the Word. There's an acceptance of the Word that we need to take on board. Look at the end of the verse. Accept the Word planted in you, which can save you. And what is James telling us to do? He's saying, get rid of your sin and that word that is telling you that that is sin, that is telling you that the course of your life is wrong at that point, accept that word. Listen to that word. And this word that he is talking about is the word of God that comes to us. It is the word that tells us that Jesus Christ is to be Lord. It is the word that tells us that we are to be doers 
of the word, not merely listeners, the very thing that he goes on to in verse 22, which is very strong text. Do not merely listen. I wonder is that what you're doing today? Are you merely listening? You'll go out the door and forget it? Well, that's no use. That's no good at all. If you accept the word, you must act upon it. And you must go home with a resolve to push away your sin, to renew your life with Christ, that you may grow in holiness and love to Him and be more committed. And let that commitment be seen. We are to be doers of the word. If we are accepting the word, we will do what the word says. To illustrate that, you can just imagine someone coming to you. There's something that you need. It's an expensive thing. You need it for your home. You've lingered and you haven't done anything about it yet because you're concerned at the cost. And someone comes to you and tells you the item you need, it's half price down in the local shop. You hear that word. Well, would you not be a fool to have heard the word and do nothing about it? Of course you would. And if that offer was only on for one day, you would need to act immediately. Because it's something you need and you're going to be helped. You can hear the word, but if you do nothing about it, you have gained nothing. But if you act, you will get your item at half price. What a blessing. And it's the same with the word of God. We need to act upon the word. Otherwise, We haven't accepted it. We haven't taken it on board. If we accept the word, then we will do what that word tells us to do. And as those who are God's people, James is saying the word has been planted in you. The word is in you. The Holy Spirit is there to stir up the thought about the word that you've heard to bring to your mind the very texts that you have listened to in the past so that you will do what the Lord says. And so here, James is urging us to spiritual development and growth. He wants us to go forward striving for righteousness. And in to do so, he's saying to you, you need to remember that the sinful passions will well up, but you must not succumb to them. In fact, you must push those things aside. For there's a life that you're to desire, the life of righteousness from God. And you will get that life only when you're active in rejecting sin, in putting it away, and in accepting the word of the living God. And as we look forward next week, God willing to come around the Lord's table, let us take these words to heart. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The word of Christ that will lead to eternal life. Amen.